Once again, I would like to reiterate that this podcast is not intended to be an extremely elaborate or detailed account on any of the events that I cover over the course of the podcast. It is only intended to be a crash course on the events that took place. If you would like to find more detail, feel free to research anything I'd talk about yourself. I do encourage it. Enjoy. Welcome to Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened, the podcast where Tanner talks about stuff that happened. This is the first chapter in a series of episodes that I'm going to start calling the quarantine chapters. And I call them the quarantine chapters because, as with most of the rest of the United States of America and much of the rest of the world currently... I am in something of a quarantine. We haven't reached full lockdown yet. At the, at the time that I record and release this episode, we have not reached full lockdown. But uh, about uh, less than a week ago, all universities in my home state were ordered to be closed and all classes removed to online. And one by one, school districts ac- across the state are shutting down their high school, middle school, and elementary schools and transferring that uh, that curriculum to online curriculum. Just today... Um, or maybe four days ago, they said, um, they, meaning the CDC, uh, the Center of Disease Control, said no gatherings of more than 100 people. Then maybe two days later, they said no gatherings of more than 50 people. And today they said no gatherings of more than 10 people as a recommendation to prevent the spread of the virus, of the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, and then uh, a couple hours later, they shut down all restaurants in the state they said restaurants are no longer permitted to remain open and they have to they have to move all of their sales to takeout sales or uh, delivery sales so it's pretty safe to say this this thing has really blossomed and kind of gotten out of control in the last uh, two or three weeks three weeks ago we were hardly talking about it and today we are almost all on lockdown so i'm going to be recording these chapters because i was a university student and now i'm not really in school anymore really all i have to do is tune into some kind of online learning lab that my professors are going to be creating and none of my professors are extremely tech savvy one of my professors still has a flip phone and so it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out we're going to uh be able to be experiencing some very different things in the next few weeks. And because I'm going to be locked down in my house for the vast majority of time, because I worked in a restaurant and I went to university, I happen to have a lot of time to read on my hands and a lot of downtime. So to keep myself from getting too deep into video games or social media or the panic that is going on at the moment, I decided why not just podcast a little bit more. So this is the first in in a series of episodes that we'll be releasing a little bit more often than usual. I'm hoping for two episodes a week. If I get really stir crazy, I might do three. Um, And I'm sure eventually I'm going to do a podcast about the Black Death or something like that as something of irony. So... Let us get started. This is this is going to be a cool episode. This is going to be a little. I'm, I'm, this is probably going to be a shorter episode than usual, um, because there's not a crazy amount of subject matter. But I want to. But I, I feel like it's an important episode because I want to emphasize the importance of how all of history is interconnected, and it's important to understand how everything fits together before making assumptions on why things happen the way that they did. So today we're talking about um, Columbus, and not just Columbus. We are also talking about the fall of the Byzantine Empire in the year 1453, 40 years, 39 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So how does, why, why do these two events fit together? 
All right, let's start. So, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I don't know if you learned that, but that's how I learned it, and that's how they told me to remember it. I learned it in, like, third grade. But why did Columbus sail uh, the ocean blue? Well, because Spain was paying him to. But why was Spain paying him to? Spain was in the market for new exploration across the world, but why were they exploring so to figure that out, we need to cross the Mediterranean Sea to the Bosporus Strait. Uh, if you know where the modern-day city of Istanbul is, the Bosporus Strait is right on the shores of that. Um, it links the Sea of Marmara and the Black Sea. In the early 15th century, this strait was governed by the Byzantine Empire. The Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire was an ailing power, constantly ravaged by a lot of civil war and plagued by attacks from the quickly rising Ottoman Empire. The Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire was once the Roman Empire, but after the Western Roman Empire fell, which was Italy and uh, Spain, Germany, France, that whole arena, even up, uh, even up into Britain a little bit, the Eastern Roman Empire became the Byzantine Empire. That's a story for another day, but right now that's all you need to know about the creation of the Byzantine Empire. And at one point, that empire spanned much of North Africa and Turkey and controlled the Balkan states, con these today consisting of Serbia, Albania, Macedonia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Greece, uh, all those countries. Um, these repeated civil wars had weakened it so much that the other powers basically just had to walk in and declare dominance to annex that land. And this is where our story begins. Now, by the end of the 14th century, the Byzantines had lost all of their land holdings, save for Constantinople itself. Uh, Constantinople was the capital of the Byzantine Empire and would one day become Istanbul. Uh, at this point, it was a dilapidated con uh, city consisting of not much more than a couple clusters of towns separated by farmland, but formidable walls did surround the inhabitants. The Ottomans had bypassed the city and had left it more or less alone during their conquests of the Balkans because of its impressive defenses, but by 1453, the Ottoman army had grown strong and fearsome through their domination of the Balkan states, and the city was all that stood in the way of it and complete dominion of the Aegean Sea. So the Byzantine Empire, although on its deathbed, still controlled the vital waterway between the Sea of Marmara and the Black Sea the Bosporus Strait. Uh, and if the Ottomans took control of that, it would be a significant source of tax income as they would have jurisdiction over every single vessel that passed through it uh, as it was trading. And that was reason enough to do so. So on April 6th, 1453, Sultan Mehmed II, only 21 years old at the time, younger than me, uh, he led an army of 80,000 soldiers to the walls of the city. Also, as Constantinople rested against the Sea of Marmara, the Sultan ordered a blockade of the city with a fleet of 50 ships floating silently several miles offshore. A garrison of 10,000 men and women held the city and were assisted by several hundred mercenaries and volunteers from other lands to the west who held some loyalty to the city for various reasons. But the Ottomans had a bombard. Now, not a cannon, a bombard. There is a distinct difference. One shoots cannonballs and the other could essentially launch a bus. Now, I won't go into too much detail about the siege because the siege itself is not the focus of this particular episode. But on May 29th of the same year, 
Almost two months after the siege began, the Sultan launched an all-out assault on the walls of Constantinople. Now, there are many accounts of the, that the defenders fought very bravely, but 10,000 defenders couldn't withstand the unstoppable tide of an army of 80,000 well-trained, well-disciplined, battle-hardened Ottoman invaders not to mention many of those Janissaries, which would become infamous throughout Europe in the 14th and 15th century. So after the defenders were defeated, the Ottomans went about plundering the city, massacring many of the inhabitants, enslaving the rest, and committing various other war crimes. And, but the city was theirs, and with it came full control over the Strait of Bosporus. Now let's shift our focus back to Spain in the 15th century. Now, in the 14th and 15th century, one of Spain's primary trade routes was through the Bosporus Strait and the Black Sea to reach the settlements in Western Asia. Uh, these had a direct land route to India, bringing goods to be traded on the shores of the Black Sea by means of the Silk Road, which stretched all the way to eastern China. The Spanish thrived on many of these trade routes, but when the Ottomans took control of the strait, they enforced strict fees on any ships passing through, and the Spanish pretty quickly grew tired of this. And to add to these inconveniences, between 1481 and 1520, the Ottomans would continue their expansion into Egypt and North Africa, taking control of Jerusalem, Suez, the Nile River Delta, and northern Algeria. A significant portion of Spanish trade was through these ports, and as they one by one fell to the Ottomans, the hands of the royal family in Portugal, as well as the royalty in Spain, were tied. With their coffers quickly emptying, both countries were looking for a way to recoup the losses they had suffered as a result of this conquest that really had very little to do with them directly. Now enter a Genoese merchant named Christopher Columbus. His name might be familiar. You, you may have heard of him. He saw the frustration that the inhabitants of the Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain and Portugal, modern day, were feeling in the 40 years following the fall of Constantinople and saw a way to profit from it as well as to maybe gain some clout. The American continent had not yet been discovered, but with the Earth recently being widely accepted to be round and the maps showing a vast unexplored ocean between Europe and Asia on the western side, Columbus reasoned that if he sailed for long enough, if, if he sailed for long enough, he could find a trade route between Europe and India across that ocean, ridding the Iberians of the need for a middleman to trade with in the Black Sea and providing them with the opportunity to trade with India directly, without giving any support to the Ottomans, who the principalities of Western Europe were becoming increasingly wary of. First, he proposed the idea to the Portuguese royal family. Portugal was leaps and bounds ahead of much of the rest of the world in international trade, and it only seemed reasonable to present that idea to them. But what Columbus didn't take into account was that much of the profit gained in Portugal's trade with India existed in the many stops taken in Africa as ships rounded the southern tip, making the voyages much more lucrative. And though Columbus's proposal to find a shorter route was intriguing, such a route would put uh, Portuguese merchants in a bind and robbed them of that same profit. Ultimately, his pitch was rejected by the Portuguese government. So Columbus moved on to the other power in the Iberian Peninsula. By the 1490s, the Spanish had spent the last 700 years uniting Spain uh, and the surrounding islands under one banner and a series of events that came to be known as the Reconquista. 
King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella had recently annexed the principalities of Granada, officially ending any foreign occupation in that nation. They could now turn their attention to the economic thorns that had been placed in their side, the Ottoman occupation of North Africa, the Middle East, and now the Balkan states. So when Christopher Columbus offered to find a better, easier way to India, removing the middlemen and keeping the Ottomans from any financial gain that they would get from the Spanish, the crown decided to give him an audience. Columbus sat down with Ferdinand and Isabella and gave them his sales pitch. Columbus asked for three ships and a year's time to search for a western route to India or China before returning. He also requested to be appointed governor of any and all lands that he discovered during his travels, receiving 10% of all revenue gained from those islands. Isabella thoughtfully considered this, but told Columbus that one of her advisors told her the risk was too great, and she sent him away. Columbus, dejected after almost now a decade of trying to get someone to fund his travels to these new lands, he left the meeting in despair, riding a mule out of town. But as King Ferdinand watched him go, something changed his mind, and he intervened. The royal couple sent for Columbus again and thought his plans over once more. And this time, for whatever reason, they agreed. The final contract stated that Columbus was promised to be made the rank of Admiral of the Ocean Sea, appointed Viceroy and Governor of all new lands that he discovered and claimed for Spain, the recipient of 10% of all revenue gained from those lands, with the option of buying another one-eighth in investments and therefore gaining another 12.5% of revenue, a grand total of 22.5, more than a fifth of the revenue from these investments, and he would be given the choice of three nominees for governors of these new lands, of which Spain would make the final choice which would ultimately govern the land. So Columbus set about preparing for his voyage, and as we all know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Eventually, he would claim Cuba, Santo Domingo, Guadalupe, Martinique, Jamaica, the Bahamas, and the eastern seaboard of Central America as Spanish colonies, their exploitation making Spain richer than it ever could have imagined. So now if we want to look back, there's a chain of events that made this discovery happen. First, the most obvious in this episode is the fall of Constantinople and the expansion of the Ottomans. That made the need for a new route to India appetizing to the Spanish royalty. But the next thing to examine is how the existence of the Silk Road established the trade route through the Bosporus Strait in the first place. If that trade route had never been created, the Spanish probably wouldn't have a reason to establish trade routes in the Black Sea since the lands surrounding it were not teeming with civilization. The origins of the Silk Road now can be traced back to ancient Rome, ancient Persia, and even contact between Chinese tribes in Central Asia in the 2nd millennium BC. Those events that transpired would all lead indirectly to the discovery of the Americas by the Europeans, the establishment of Spanish, French, Dutch, British colonies in them, and the independence movements of all, and the vast cultures created by all. And when you get down to it, history is always interconnected at many junctions. Nothing happens purely by chance. It is all a product of the past. Everything that happens 
plays a part in everything that continues to happen. And, and that's why people say those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. And that's why I wanted to do this episode is because I wanted to show that if, if you if you grew up in the United States or maybe Canada or maybe even Central America, you learned a lot about uh, how Columbus discovered uh, Columbus was a Spanish merchant and he discovered the American continent. Now, first of all, um, Columbus was not a Spanish merchant. He actually was a Genoese merchant and he was more Italian than anything. Um, but he did discover the American continent not because he intended to be um, the explorer and discoverer of nations, but he was trying to find a trade route that would become lucrative for him. And the Spanish took a chance on him because of that. He was not a Spanish merchant. He was Genoese, but he was working for Spain. Um, but he was searching for that trade route to help the Spanish because their initial trade route through the Black Sea had been challenged by the Ottomans. They were getting taxed. Um, and that trade route existed because the Silk Road existed. And the Silk Road existed because the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire... The Chinese dynasties existed and Marco Polo had eventually found it. There's so much that ties into everything that happened and that's why I wanted to do this specific episode. Again, a little bit shorter than my last couple episodes, but this one I found pretty specifically uh, intriguing and I hope, you, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed it. So thanks for joining me on the first installment of the Quarantine Chapters. Maybe I'll call it the Quarantine Files, something like that, but... Uh, there's a lot more to come in this podcast. I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. Thank you again for joining me. Tell your friends, tell your family, um, as we are all trying to weather this crazy storm that is COVID-19. Let's see how bad this gets. This is going to get interesting. Maybe in two years, I'll be doing an episode about COVID-19 and the big, the great coronavirus outbreak and stock market crash of 2020. All right. I'm here to ride the storm out with all of you, so let us keep it going. Uh, I'll be releasing an episode as soon as I possibly can when I get more research done. The next one's going to be fun. All right, catch y'all next time.